Okay, we are live at this time. Stefan Maier with you at itsouls.com, the website. This is the Early Bird Podcast Sessions. What are we looking into? Well, we're looking into gospel obedience. What does that mean? Is that even a thing we can find in the Bible? Some say no, not at all. Others say, yeah, absolutely. Well, we kind of want to have ourselves a session on this topical themed day, if you will. If you look at the show notes there, you'll find out what days we label a certain theme from Monday to Friday, and you will have to forgive me. I've not been able to go live these past weeks every day because of uh, various uh, reasons with the local work and uh, some fruitful endeavors that we are involved with and uh, some good stuff coming. Can't wait to share with you. But uh, yeah, so here we are today, and we want to look at uh, an article from our friends, as always, over there at Apologetics Press. Org. And uh, there is a Q&A of sorts, an article from our brother Dave Miller in response to a question saying, "Do why do you believe obedience, quote unquote, is necessary to salvation? That's a good question. It's a very good question, and we'd be wise to pay attention to it and uh, learn from it. What is gospel obedience? Is it a thing? Well, we're going to look into that. By all means, please consider subscribing to the channel. Give us a thumbs up, leave us a comment, share the link far and wide. All that kind of good stuff helps um, this kind of material reach those of us out there who uh, are interested in the finer things in life, the purpose of our existence, and the wonderful, um, the wonderful reality before us on this earth. Yeah, all that kind of good stuff. I am indeed a minister laboring alongside with the East Coast Church of Christ.com. You can check us out. We also have Facebook pages. I have a Facebook page myself, Stefan Ashmaye. You can check me out over there as well. And you can sign up to addedsouls.locals.com. We always need your support. It provides uh, growth for the Added Souls ministry through the Maye family, myself, my wife, my children. And uh, the mission we are involved with here and committed to on the East Coast of Canada with the East Coast Church of Christ. And uh, we'd love for you to sign up there. It's free to do so. And once you are there, you can certainly support monthly. No amount is too low. No amount is too high. Everything is transparent. All things are known and uh, been recorded and are available. We've been doing this now since 2011. And uh, so all of that is, is, is public knowledge, and uh, that's a good thing, isn't it? So, yeah, there you go. If there are other ways you'd like to partake in the work, other means, by all, by, by all means, you know, reach out to me, and I'd be more than happy to share that with you. Okay, so why do you believe obedience is necessary to salvation? Like, why, what, what would make us think such a thing exists, right? And where does that come from? Did we as human beings throughout the millennia just come up with that saying, oh yeah, we need to obey the gospel. Well, wait a minute. What does that even mean? Can we read something in the Bible that has to do with obeying the gospel? Is that a thing? Is that even, can you even read gospel obedience in the Bible, right? Like did Jesus command us to obey something or to keep something? Good questions to ask if we are seeking, if we have a genuine submissive submissive heart to the truth mind you you know for seeking the truth well we have to be honest 
So let's see what the article has to say. Again, apologeticspress.org is where you want to go if you want to find these articles. There are various locations I go from brethren who have very good ministries, well-grounded and sound Bible-based information and material. So sometimes I go there and we kind of uh, read their material together along with my studies and the things I've experienced and seen throughout the decade plus now, and we kind of just have ourselves a good conversation. And you are more than uh, welcome to, to leave a comment or a question or a concern. As long as we respect each other in a mature way, we love each other, as the scriptures would say, then we'll be a-okay, right? We'll be fine. We'll make it out of here alive, right? Okay, so in this article here, the question came in to Apologetics Press, and here's what the question had to say. It says, quote, I came upon your website due to the referral of a Christian brother who provided me a link to your article on John Quincy Adams' views on Islam. I love the article, and will share it with others. Now, when checking into your beliefs, I note the following on your site under, quote, what we believe. It says, salvation is by means of obedience to the gospel system involving faith in God and Christ, repentance from sin, confession of faith, and immersion in water for remission of past sins, coupled with a life of growing consecration and dedication. And this here... Uh, individual further says, quoting, In all honesty, when I read scripture, I do not get that salvation has anything whatsoever to do with a, quote, gospel system or obedience thereof. Surely you can't mean that our deeds and works can make us righteous or clean in the eyes of a perfect and entirely holy God. Moreover, we cannot follow any kind of system or formula, regardless of how good it may be. Only Christ and his completed sacrifice, once for all, can save those who believe in him, his word, and his resurrection. I think the most simple and direct quotes on how salvation is achieved, parentheses, really awarded is the better and most accurate word, is from Romans 10, 17 and Acts 10, verse 34 through 46. In light of these verses, why would you take the stance you do on your website? Put another way, why do you believe salvation is had by any other way than as noted in the cited sections of Romans, Acts, and any number of other examples throughout the scriptures of persons being saved? Now that's the question that came in. And if you have been faithful to our Lord and Master in His church, legal citizens of His kingdom, for a given amount of time... You've heard that before as well, numerous times. I would assume, I know I have, a great deal. It is indeed the standard question or rebuttal or argument from individuals who do not seem to find in the scriptures gospel obedience and how we as human beings have a responsibility to do what God has commanded us to do. Though not in any meritorious form, we cannot boast of our works, yet somehow that means we can't do anything. Well, let's see what the answer would be from our friends over at ApologeticsPress.org, Brother David Miller. He says, It is true that the New Testament does not use the phrase gospel system, but the concept is certainly biblical. 
Even as we speak of the, quote, Christian system or the, quote, Christian religion. In Romans, the gospel-slash-grace system is contrasted with a strictly legal-slash-law system. The point of Romans is that the Jews could not depend on their ethnic heritage, parentheses, their genetic connection to Abraham with its covenant's symbol of circumcision, or the law of Moses to save them, because genetic connection is fleshly and avails nothing, and they did not diligently keep the law of Moses given to them. And that makes me think, of course, of John chapter 1. John chapter 1, I believe, somewhere is along the lines of verse 11 and 12, maybe a bit before or after, along that context, where he speaks of the new birth and how this new birth is not a product of flesh and blood or the will of man. It is indeed something that comes from a divine source. It is God-given. It comes from heaven, similar, of course, to when Jesus asked, the baptism of John, whence forth does it come from, you know, from heaven or from men? Well, the gospel comes from God. Man did not create it. So we continue with the article. It says, no one can be saved by law alone. We don't have Abrahamic lineage to say, well, I better be in heaven because I'm a son of the kingdom, you know, a Jew. No, that don't work. So no one can be saved by law alone since everyone has violated God's law and therefore stands condemned by the law. We needed a different approach to the sin problem, you see, specifically the gospel. The good news that God inhabited human flesh in the person of his son, the atone for sin. In other words, our violations of God's law. Okay, to be sure, the gospel has law that we must obey, just like the law of Moses, but it also has the means of ultimate atonement, which the law of Moses did not technically have. And you can compare that with Hebrews 10.4. Yes, the orchestration of that means of forgiveness is wholly God's doing, which we do not deserve. There is absolutely nothing we can do to atone for our own sin. This is the grace of the Bible. Example, Titus 2, verse 11, right? However, it by no means follows that there is nothing that God requires of us before he will freely cleanse us. Cleanse us. And that's something we really have to grasp because we've been deceived by false doctrines for millennia. And all these false doctrines are categorized within the schemes of the ism, right? The ism, catechism, Catholicism, uh, Protestantism, Calvinism, all these isms and the many forms of isms are false doctrines. That doesn't mean there aren't morally upright individuals who are snared within the deceitful grasp and manipulation of the isms. A great time we find our neighbors, friends, co-workers, family, decent, morally upright individuals contributing to the societal moral uh, societal flourishment of the uh, community. So we're not judging unrighteously or based on appearance alone. What we are speaking of is the doctrinal position, the doctrines in which these isms have been 
teaching from their pulpits for millennia, ever since the first departure from the true doctrine of our Lord and Master, which was, of course, Catholicism. And Catholicism was a political influence which came together from uh, apostate eldership from the Lord's Church, the church Jesus had built. And they got together with Roman influence and power for political endeavor, and they concocted a universal religion. This took place centuries after the Lord's Church, the church Jesus built, was built. And they did so with various characteristics from the Jewish system, the pagan and heathen system, and also uh, sprinklings of Christianity or Christian uh, uh, truths, if you will. And they mishmashed it all up, and it came to be known as Catholicism, the, Cat the Roman Catholic Church. That's not the church Jesus built. That is a departure that took place, as I have explained. And you can look all of this up. You don't have to take a single word I say at heart at all. As a matter of fact, don't believe me. Just be honest and go do your studies, and you'll find the same thing. If you're honest, of course, if you're sincere, if you're willing to admit that maybe everything you've known religiously is a lie. <laughs> and that's a very difficult thing to do. I know I've had to do it, and so, so has my, my, my father and my mother. And it's very difficult to do when you've been snared in, in false doctrines for, for millennia, and you are so emotionally invested with your pastors, your priests, your reverends, your popes, and all these doctrinal isms and your the people who you go to church with and everything you just feel so betrayed you feel yourself so uh, uh, um, how should I say it um, angered because that just can't be true they can't be true that everything I've learned is a lie that just cannot be the truth well in most cases yeah it certainly is and if we are humble enough to recognize that as Paul would have on the road to Damascus, recognized that everything he thought he knew was right, being of the Pharisaical ilk, one who had exceeded his peers, a very educated man who thought the right way, faithful and sincere to God, was to get rid of the way of the Christ and all those who claimed to be Christians. Well, Paul had a harsh reality moment, didn't he, when divine intervention took place, a miraculous occurrence took place in his life. And he certainly suffered as an instrument of God's hand throughout that process. And friends, you and I, the same today, the same thing uh, is taking place. It hasn't changed. Most who claim to be Christians are not Christians, yet they've been meant to think they are. And uh, sadly, it is a product of all these isms, all these isms. In the first century, you could have been a product of the uh, Sadducees or the the, the Pharisees or uh, the temple or the synagogues that belonged to the chief priest and the scribes and the lawyers and all these uh, factions within the governing body of the Sanhedrin and their oppositions and their oppression and tyranny and all these things. You could have been a member of that church. You could have been a, a, a product of those isms, if you will. Today, that has morphed and taken on the title of Christianity when, in fact, it's been hijacked. It does, Christianity does not belong to these isms, these denominations. The church in which Christ built is not a denomination. We who are members of his body were made so by divine power, his word, our obedience to it. And that is why it is very difficult for one who is snared in a denominational 
worldview to think there is such a thing as a unique church and a unique way that is different from the denominational worldview. And so when we speak of patterns, when we speak of commands, when we speak of gospel obedience, it, it's foreign to the thought and it's very hostile to the thought. So we immediately have an knee-jerk reaction to say, no, that's just baloney. I've never read that in the Bible. Well, that's because your pastor, your priests, your reverends, your popes, your whoever's, um, they, they take verses in a certain way and teach it in a certain way. Week after week, month, year, decade, century, millennia, and it becomes ancestral, and it becomes a given, and we no longer have an independent faith. We just trust whatever they say, and they say it so eloquently that we trust it, and we follow it, thinking ourselves saved, thinking ourselves ourselves Christians, when, in fact, we're with the herd of swine getting ready to fall off the cliff and drown. It, 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 it is truly a devastating reality. And uh, only those who truly seek and have an honest, pure heart to, 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 to want to know the truth will indeed find it. Ask, seek, knock. So back to the article here uh, and what's taking place, okay? Uh, however, it by no means follows that there is nothing that God requires of us before he will freely cleanse us. You yourself agree that a person must believe so you agree in principle with the idea that simply because there is action that a person must do to be saved, that action does not nullify the fact that salvation is a free gift and the individual does not earn or deserve salvation. The individual must believe an act of human effort called a work in John chapter 6, verse 29. Now, we can't pick and choose verses. We are rightly handling the Bible, and we are commanded to do so from the Bible. The Word of God itself says we must rightly divide, rightly handle the Word of God. Because if we wrongly handle the Word of God, we'll create all sorts of erroneous isms. Okay? So the individual must believe, which is an act of human effort, and this is called a work in John 6, 29. In other words, a work that God requires humans to perform. Indeed, believing is also a command to be obeyed. We are commanded to obey belief. John 8, 24, verse, uh, chapter 14, verse 1, Acts chapter 16, verse 31, 1 John 3, verse 23, and many others. But what does it mean to believe? It is not merely a mental act of accepting Jesus, as much of Christendom repeatedly affirms. And I find, and here, here's my thought on that. I find that, how should I say? I find that very blinding when one says there is absolutely nothing we can do to obey anything. And then they proceed to say, so I accepted Jesus in my heart through a prayer, through a religious experience, through doing something. Through I just believed. And I accepted him in my heart. I had to pray. Whoa, you just said you, you just said nothing we do. Nothing we do. But then you followed that with something we do. I know I've been caught in that hypocrisy, in that contradiction as well, in my past life, in the way I used to see the world. But it's not logical. You can't sit down and say, 
there is absolutely nothing we can do to receive our salvation. But we must do something. Belief. Belief alone. Faith alone. That, I know that's what a great many who are snared in the isms of the world have been taught. But it's simply not true. It's just not true. And that sadly again goes into the whole Calvinism thing, which I believe every denominational branch has a touch of, if not fully embracing Calvinism, which is sad, truly is. So what does it mean to believe? What does the Bible have to say about belief? It is not merely a mental act of accepting Jesus. Since Paul defines the faith of Romans as an obedient faith in chapter 1, verse 5, and chapter 16, verse 26, which is interesting, that gospel obedience or obedient to the faith is seen in the opening chapter of the book and the end chapter of the book. And the book of Romans is often often, most times utilized by those snared in the isms of the world as somehow the place to go to prove that there's nothing you can do, but there's something you have to do, believe. It's it's sad. Roman uses forms of the word obey and obedience ten times. And Fort rightly declares that a person will be judged, quote, according to his deeds. Chapter 2, verse 6. Are we purposely not reading those verses? Are they being manipulated by our pastors to a verse that clearly says according to his deeds? And we say, oh, well, that's not, that's not what it means. Well, that is what it means. Start to, wor- start to worry. When you can clearly read words, and they try to tell you those words don't mean what those words mean. Now, are we speaking of interpretation? Well, of course. Are there bad interpretations and good interpretations? Absolutely. It's a matter of the context. But there are certain things you just can't get away from. Uh, For instance, 1 Peter 3.21, water baptism now saves you. Now, those words are in there. Peter said those words, and he said them in Acts chapter 2, save yourselves from this untoward generation. Well, he said those words. We are wise to find out what they mean. They mean what they wrote, but what do they mean? Okay, well, that's where we go further with it. Um, according to his, uh, uh, to his deeds, uh, chapter 2, verse 6, and that eternal life will be given to, quote, those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality, while those who, quote, do not obey the truth, quote, will receive, quote, indignation and wrath. Romans chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. And in Romans chapter 6, verse 16, indicates that obedience precedes righteousness. So yes, humans must perform deeds to be pleasing to God. The point that the Bible makes regarding those deeds is that they do not earn salvation for the individual. They do not wash away sin, since only the blood of Christ can do that. Christ's blood is the cleansing agent. But when does God apply Christ's blood to our sin-stained spirits? The answer, when a person, quote, obeys the gospel. 2 Thessalonians 1.8. 2 Thessalonians 1.8. 
How does one obey the gospel? Good question. Acts is the, quote, book of conversions that gives example after example of instances wherein people obeyed the gospel to become Christians. The chart below records only the explicitly stated actions that occurred in 10 cases of conversion to Christ in the book of Acts, actions that preceded salvation. And let me see if I can put that up on the screen for you here. There we go. Update system audio. What's going on here? Leave me alone. These pop-ups. Okay, let's see if we can, yeah, together there. Put that up on the screen. All right. So what do we have here? Cases of conversion in the book of Acts. Let's look at this. You can see how the chart is modulized by one, two, three, four, five, six modules, branches, and categories. The first one being the book of Acts, of course, and the locations of Acts, the verses. The locations in which they believed, repented, confessed, were baptized, and saved. Okay, so let's go with the first one here. Acts chapter 2, verse 37 and 38, the Jews. The belief, they were pricked, they repented, and they were baptized. Remission. Acts chapter 8, verse 12 and 13, the Samaritans. They believed, they were baptized. In Acts chapter 8, verse 36 to 39, we had the eunuch. He believed, he confessed, he was baptized, he rejoiced. In Acts chapter 9, verse 6, in chapter... In chapter 9, verse 6, verse 9, verse 18, and in chapter 22, verse 16, Saul, he trembled, he sorrowed, he confessed, he was baptized, his sins were washed. Cornelius, in Acts chapter 10, verse 43 and 48, in chapter 11, verse 14, 17 and 18, he believed, he repented, he was baptized, he was saved, he had life. What about Lydia, in chapter 16, verses 14 and 15, her heart was open, she was baptized, she was faithful. What about the jailer in chapter 16, verse 31 and 30, uh, through 34? He believed, he washed stripes, he was baptized, and he rejoiced. What about the Bereans in chapter 17, verse 12? What about the Corinthians in chapter 18, verse 8? What about the Ephesians in chapter 19, verse 2, and, ver and, 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 and up to chapter 5, verse 18? Or sorry, chapter 19, verse 2, and then uh, 2 to 5, and then verse 18. For specifics, of course, they believed, they confessed evil deeds, they were baptized, they were in Christ. Ephesians 1, 3. I mean, are we being honest? Would you say that they meritoriously earned their salvation and were boastful of God's grace? Well, of course not. They just did what they were commanded to do in order to receive salvation. They obeyed the gospel. They obeyed the gospel. And we are wise, of course, to understand that. It's a matter of salvation. It's a matter of if we're going to be going to heaven or hell. So we best pay attention to it. That's why I don't want you believing me or following me. I want you to go to the Bible for your own self and read it for your own self. No, you don't need to call. No, I'm not going to call. You don't need to call the pastor or the reverend or the priest or the pope. You can open the Bible and read it for yourself. No, you don't need to call mom and dad, your neighbors, your friends, your cousins. or the... No, no, no. You can open the Bible for yourself. The very thing the devil don't want you doing, you do that. You open the book of Matthew, and you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you go ahead and read them again if you have to. And then you find out what took place when, when, when the gospel was, was, was uh, proclaimed in the book of Acts all the way through 
to Revelation. Romans was not actually intended to detail the conditions of salvation. Rather, Romans explains the ground slash basis of salvation, the blood of Christ. Nevertheless, in passing, Romans happens to mention every single one of the prerequisite conditions of salvation with which the humans must comply before God, before God will grant forgiveness as a free, undeserved gift. In Romans chapter 10, verse 17, as you note, or the questionnaire was noting, indicates that a person must first hear the gospel slash word of God, which is designed to create faith within. But Romans 10 verses 9 and 10 makes clear that faith is not the only prerequisite to forgiveness. Oral confession with the mouth is also enjoined. Romans 2 4 indicates that repentance is uh, necessary before God will forgive. And Romans chapter 6 verses 1 through 4 indicates that water immersion precedes salvation, since it is the contact point for the blood of Christ, which was shed in his death. We must be baptized, quote, into his death to contact that blood. In other words, if you don't go to the tomb of the Christ to die with him, being buried with him, how are you ever going to be raised with him to newness of life? You can't. What we have in the world of isms and false doctrines is individuals trying to bury people alive. You don't bury people alive. You bury them dead to their sins. That is the point at which sin is washed away by the blood of Christ. No wonder then that, that Ananias told Saul, Paul, to, quote, arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord, Acts twenty two sixteen. 16. It's the Lord's power that's saving you. So you're calling on his name as you baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Why? For the forgiveness of your sins. The water's not forgiving your sins. I'm not forgiving your sins. You can't forgive my sins. God is, but it takes faith. You see, the isms of the world and their false doctrines and denominationalism, they claim to have faith, but they don't, because all they see is water when they should, by faith, see the tomb of Jesus Christ, and the burial, the clothing, the submersion, the plunging, the dipping. Baptizo. When does a person call on the Lord? The article continues from our friends over at apologeticspress.org. When the believing, repenting, confessing person submits to water immersion, Acts twenty two sixteen. let me, from my own mind and study, ask, you, ask, you, ask it this way. Where is it, or from where does it come from? A repentant believer, confessing Christ as his Lord and Master, being immersed into water for the forgiveness of sins. Where does it come from? If it comes from man, who invented that? But if it comes from the Bible, why don't we just obey it? A repentant believer, confessing Christ as his Lord and Master, qualifying to be immersed, plunged, dipped, submerged, Clothed, buried with Christ, born again out of water and the Spirit. Where does that come from? The mind of man? Or by divine sourcing? Deity? The Bible? The penmanship of the Holy Spirit? That's where it comes from. But are we honest enough to see that? It takes faith. Hebrews 
Let's keep reading. That explains why Peter declares that baptism, quote, now saves us, 1 Peter 3.21. Was Peter contradicting Jesus? Was Peter saying, no, it's no longer Jesus now. It's no longer Jesus that saves us, it's water. Is that what Peter's saying? Well, of course not. But if you've been snared and deceived in the ocean of isms, denominationalism, that's what you have to believe. Yeah, Peter contradicted himself, I guess. Or what he said just doesn't mean what he said. That explains why Peter declared that baptism now saves us, in the sense that Christ's blood saves us at the point of our baptism. And that is why that same Peter impressed upon those present in Acts chapter 10 that the reception of the Holy Spirit baptism directly from God upon the Gentiles was proof positive that Gentiles have the right to become Christians just as much as do the Jews. So you and I today, we don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit like that. That was for them of the first century. The apostles and the Gentiles as confirmation to whom the gospel is to be given and gospel obedience is to be received. They were procrastinating. The Gentiles should have had that opportunity a long time ago, but Peter had a vision, didn't he? And things happened afterwards. Once their eligibility for conversion was demonstrated by the miraculous, that miraculous act direct from God, Peter then pressed for their obedience in the words, quote, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized? Acts chapter 10, verse 47. Why even bring up water at that moment if water immersion was not prerequisite to their forgiveness? Like, what would be the purpose? It'd be redundant. It wouldn't have any purpose. Think logically, and also think this way. Look at all the accounts of conversion. All of them rejoiced after coming up out of the water, not before. Always after. Because they had gone to the tomb of the Christ, spiritually speaking, in that water. So, faith. Repentance, confession, and baptism are all indicated to precede remission of sin. We must obey these acts, not to atone for our sin, for only Jesus can do that, but to comply with God's stated conditions, conditions that he authored, not us, and enjoined upon all who wish to be saved. That is why the Hebrews writer stated, fortrightly, that Jesus is, quote, the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him, Hebrews 5.9. It is interesting that you quote Acts 10.34 and 35. Here now, again, he's speaking to the individual having an argument towards gospel obedience. He says, it's interesting that you quote Acts 10, verse 34 and 35, which indicates that before a person is acceptable to Christ, that person must, quote, fear him and work righteousness, verse 35. Quote, he who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous, 1 John 3, 7. In other words, belief, repentance, oral confession, and water immersion are righteous actions that humans must perform in order to receive the free gift of salvation available only in Christ and be counted by him as righteous. Jesus said, quote, Blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it, Luke eleven twenty eight. He also said, quote, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. 
John 14, 23. Indeed, the day is coming when, quote, the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on, pay attention, those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 and 8. Denominationalism has manifested a persistent refusal to distinguish between the grounds of salvation and the conditions of salvation, the compatible scriptural distinction between Christ's atonement and man's obedience. And that brings the article to its conclusion from our brother Dave Miller over at apologeticspress.org. Apologeticspress.org. If we simply would be honest with each other and transparent, there is no need for name-calling, disrespect, or uh, unrighteous anger. Let's just be level-minded, sober, and self-controlled and think about these things when we read in the scriptures this information. Jesus came to liberate his people from the bondage of the pharisaical ilk, the Sanhedrin, and all those involved. They had the chief priests, which were more concerned with temple things, and you had the elders who were in opposition to the Pharisees, and then you had the Pharisees, the lawyers, and the scribes, more concerned with their synagogues, and all of them in this body of Jewish govern government, uh, they would uh, argue day uh, every day about this, that, and the other. And the people were slave to that. They were loyal to these individuals, Sadducees, Pharisees. And Jesus came to liberate them from that. You don't need to, you don't need these gatekeepers, you don't need these key holders. You can have freedom in Christ. You can. Friends, listen, we don't need to be slaves to false doctrines which may come from people we love. I am certain that in denominations there are pastors who are friendly, morally upright people in the community who would give you their shirt on their back to have you safe. I have no doubt about that. I believe that to be true. I know that to be true. We're not talking about that character, that behavior. We're talking about which church did Jesus build? And how does one become a member of that church? The truth sets us free. And the doctrines of denominationalism and all the other isms within denominationalism, friends, they're not leading us to heaven. They masquerade as if they do but they don't. The kingdom in which Christ is now crowned king, his body, his church, it was birthed from the mind of God. It was prophesied by his prophets, right? Micah, Daniel, Joel, Isaiah. It was promised by the Christ. It was purchased by his blood. And dear friends, it must be practiced by our faith. We cannot meritoriously earn our salvation. But there is indeed a responsibility to humbly submit ourselves to gospel obedience. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. His kingdom in which he was crowned king, 
his church, was established in the first century. It was recorded, witnessed, and recorded in the book of Acts. It came with great power from on high. The outpouring power of the Holy Spirit upon the twelve chosen vessels, the apostles who stood up among the people and proclaimed the death, burial, resurrection, witness, and ascension of the Christ. This took place in Jerusalem during the reign of the Roman Empire, fulfilling all the prophets. And all those who warmly received that message, friends, they were immersed, plunged, dipped, submerged, buried, clothed, born again out of water and the Spirit, added to the church Jesus built, and no other. You can know about that. You and I can be legal citizens of that church, of that body of believers, for it is the only spiritual location where salvation is found. This church you don't join. There's not a vote to see if you're allowed to come in. It is the hand of God that takes your soul when you submit to him in baptism, and he takes you and he adds you to his church. And it is a spiritual house that cannot be destroyed by the hands of men, but it is a house we can see through our physical vessels together congregated each Sunday, each week for Bible studies, for social gatherings. It is true and real. He is with us till the end of time. Imagine how much influence we would have for good in our communities if we were all united members of that same one church Jesus built. You can find in the Bible. The possibilities would be endless. You think that's possible? Or are we too bound, loyal to our Pharisees, quote-unquote, our denominational doctrines? Ah. Don't hate me, I'm just the mailman. Don't sick the dog on me, I'm just trying to put a letter in your mailbox. You don't have to believe a single word I've just said. You have to meet God independently of your own accord and conscience. I won't be there holding your hand. I don't have enough oil to give to you. But if what I am saying makes sense because you've been able to read it in the Bible, reach out at itsouls.com, eastcoastchurchofchrist.com. Reach out to us. We can sit down, have studies, love each other, be friends, work through the scriptures, honest, humble, open hearts, do what's right before God that good stay focused and stay positive by all means please consider subscribing to the channel give us a thumbs up leave us a comment all that kind of wonderful stuff and um if you are a member of the church that jesus built i kindly extend your way an opportunity to partake we do here raise support for the added souls ministry through the maya family and the work we do in this mission and well, we all know inflation and the cost of life has driven drastically up. So much so, it's almost at the brink of economic collapse, isn't it? We work hard. Our reports are transparent. Our life has been public in the public eye since 2011. And the work we do, please consider getting involved. No amount is too low or too high. And uh, you can certainly do that if you sign up at addedsouls.locals.com. 
There's also the PayPal option, or you can get my address and send something that way as well. Uh, but uh, it is greatly appreciated. And uh, we certainly have a goal we need to reach. And we're about $1,000 short from that. So if you can help us get to that amount this year, we'll be able to survive another one. And that'll be exceptional. And uh, we'll thank God for that. Absolutely. Okay. Well, there it is. A bit of a plug-in necessary for the time. Stay focused. Stay positive. Lord willing, tomorrow we shall certainly come back together again. Maybe. I think tomorrow is our socio-political conversation. We've not had one in a few weeks, so I think it's about time. Usually on Fridays for the socio-political conversation, I typically take a week or two because it can get redundant. I mean, obviously, if you turn on the TV, everything's doom and gloom, and it's the same repetitive nonsense day in, day out. But if we give it a few weeks, usually there's a few points that need to be brought about and spoken about as Christians. That okay? All right. Peace out.